can start off with that, sir. Okay. Are we ready to start? Um, I think we are. So welcome, everybody. Um, I'm Josh, uh, also known as Cujo. And uh, we also have Dave, president of the FPBFC. And we got Dan with us, um, as well as Alex. Dan, so. We have- we have the other David, David. Oh, we do have David. Hi, David. Welcome. Um, so uh, obviously we've got some stuff to talk about remote ID, uh, the drone advisory committee, um, as well as uh, some interesting news articles, some stuff that popped up at CES uh, and uh, a few other things. So Dave, I'll let you start off with uh, some of the uh, uh, DAC stuff and yeah. uh, kind of go from there. So an interesting DAC testing, tasking group uh, that we're working on. Alex is uh, working on it, and uh, so is Elias, which is great. Uh, more uh, more representation from people who know what they're talking about, and also in recreational, it's a great thing. Um, the topic of the tasking group is create better situational awareness for manned as well as unmanned aircraft in low altitudes. So... We've got uh, the subgroup I'm working on is uh, chaired by um, uh, Mark Colburn, DAC member, great guy, uh, colonel, uh, retired just now in the uh, Dallas uh, Police Department, 30 years helicopter experience in the uh, police, uh, and also uh, military uh, background prior to that. So one of the things that has come up, and again and again, is uh, notify and fly. And so the idea with this is pretty much what we put in as FPVFC into the into the comments of the NPRM for remote ID, which is we would like, instead of having restrictions of where to fly, we would like to be able to pull out our phones, describe a little three-dimensional shape. This is where I'm going to fly, send, I'm done. No remote ID equipage on the uh, on the drone, and no equipment, no transponders. That was sort of like the demo that was done with Google's wing and maybe uh, flight test guys in that video yeah. from a year ago or so. Yes, yes, exactly. And so um, Kenji Sukahara, uh, new new DAC member along with Vic Moss, is pushing uh, notify and fly to uh, ev- anyone and everyone, and we're, and we're delighted and grateful, and uh, we're pushing it as well. So it's a uh, we you know, because this is one of the things that when we talk about the remote ID final rule. That we felt, boy, it would have been it would have been nice if the FAA had said, in addition for recreational flying, you know, you can do notify and fly, because uh, of course, uh, for us, outside of Afria, we now have to have uh, some type of uh, remote ID uh, equipment on the uh, on the UAS. Yeah, so, I think that would be a great option to have for people. Dave, is that similar to Lance? Like the idea yeah. of Lance. The idea is it would be to extend Lance to, okay. and so to extend it with a um, a geometric uh, shape, three a three dimensional shape, as well as um, uh, a location, as but, well as you know some type of identification. Isn't that what Lance is right now? I think Lance does let you do that in the app. Yeah, it does. I've oh. done it before. I've done it before, like multiple times, different airports, and yeah. You specify altitude and you specify a four four points four digit or just four points and you literally just it's a you touch the point and you drag drag wow. it into square or or just like in a four digit you know yeah shape. it starts off as a square but you can usually drag the corners to wherever you want them to be yeah there you go yep 
the problem with that though is not everywhere uh, accepts lance authorization. So how are they going to yeah. implement this? No, well, the the, the idea is you could use it scan. anywhere, any correct, any uh, uncontrolled right. airspace. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, because lance is as as you point out, uh, Matt, is that uh, lance today is for controlled uh, airspace, and we're requesting that it would be. Um, uh, beyond all un uncontrolled airspace as well. Yeah, and I guess not it's not like you're requesting the permission to fly. It's more of you're notifying anyone else that you are flying. Correct. And uh, Zarg has a, a point here on the on the uh, text. He's saying basically just like geofencing. I would say no, not at all. Um, this is, uh, you know, we are stating, and as Dan just said, we're declaring this is where I am going to fly as opposed to an electronic uh, capability that would stop us or prevent us from flying. Uh, TextJet saying, he said that the FAA already said no to this. Do we think the DAC can convince them otherwise? Um, the FAA declined to respond to the first time we, well, actually to the several times we put this in. So we we submitted this in the response to the N NPRM. No comments, mm -hmm. from, no response there. We also submitted it from the DAC to the FAA in the F, um, uh, UAS facility map uh, um, recommendations. No response there. So we'll just we're just going to keep working it. So our, our answer is yeah, we're going to uh, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Yeah, very basic flight plan. That's a good characterization. Yeah, and it's not like it would be the only option. Like you still have the options that they have in the final rule, but this would be an additional option for compliance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which keeps the equipment i mean essentially off your off your drone and it's you know this would be great for setting up you know races and stuff like that right um, i would think so oh, and absolutely. in places that have no internet access then your if your phone doesn't work then you have those other options to fall back on yeah absolutely hey dave <clears throat> yes you know yesterday during that meeting um uh they talked a lot about why or uh, they talked a lot about ADS-B and trying to integrate man with unman. And I thought, I thought, I, when we talked last, we thought, uh, maybe I misunderstood, but we, we thought we talked about ADS-B was not going to be, uh, like, we didn't want to, like, over, you know, send too much information to the manned aircraft. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, a couple of points on what's on my background on ADS-B. Uh, and correct me where I'm wrong, uh, Elias. Um in the final rule, the FAA declared uh, ADSB out is not going to be part of uh, RID. Or you know, we're um, you know, that's you know uh, for and as they mentioned in the NPRM, we're, we're very worried about oversaturating the uh, uh, the spectrum of uh, that uh, the two spectrums that we use in the United United States. What is it uh, nine seventy eight and ten ten ten? Help me ten ninety ten eighty. Yeah, that um, sounds right. Yep. And so. Um, one of the where what we're tossing around in the DAC is the ability to expand on what uh, DJI is doing today, which is to pick up ADSB in. So where it is broadcast, um, we can uh, right ADSB is verboten for ADSB out. Yep, that's ex we agree with that. So if a a drone can pick it up, that's great, and then uh, we'll alert the uh, the UAS. Uh, pilot that hey you've got a uh, a full size aircraft um, uh, near you and I what think would that's... be the benefit I mean 
So what would be the benefit in that? Because we already, besides, I think I heard someone saying during that meeting, besides helicopters, fixed wing aircraft are already staying above 500 feet. Yeah, right I mean, now, with the exception, they're supposed to, but there are exceptions to that. So, you know, yeah. you've got crop, I mean, crop dusting, law enforcement, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> there's also certain areas where they do are allowed to dip below that. Um, but, I mean, even still, that's just more information. So, I mean, I live in Phoenix Metro, in the Phoenix Metro area, so... If you're a helicopter pilot, how saturated is your ADSB system going to be with, you know, you know, you've got a city of, I don't know, let's say 5 million people. Um, and how saturated, you know, what percentage of those are flying drones at any given moment and how saturated is your system going to be? You, you see, I mean, ADSB is, I mean, it's definitely a solution, but it's a solution for it's a solution for no problem. I mean, essentially right now, as it stands, we're already responsible for giving way to manned aviation. So, um, there's, there should be no condition essentially where a manned aviation, uh, pilot would need to give way to us with the exception of, you know, maybe some, you know, experimental thing or, or whatever, in which case I'm sure the FAA would do their thing. But, you know, it's it's on us to avoid that. And it's on us, you know, has been a thing for a long time and we've got an excellent safety record. So it's a it's a solution with no problem. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I just don't understand why. What, what, what's the point of having a drone have ADSB in to be able to see manned aircraft? Like what, 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 what like you said, what problem is that solving? What, why are we even looking at that? So, I mean, essentially, I mean, theoretically, if, if it's for this, the drone operator to see manned pilots, it gives you a better, a theoretical, better uh, expectation of what's in the air around you. Um, sort of but like that, that alarm system that Bruce Simpson designed where you'd, you'd have a little radio sitting next to you that buzzes and beeps and lets you know if an aircraft is headed your way. Yeah, so the, the problem we're trying to solve is uh, improved situational awareness. Um, just just that simple. It's not a detect okay. and avoid, but just to so raise the awareness. For the for the for UAS users only in this scenario. Yes. Okay, got it. Thanks. Sorry about that. No, no, good question. And I'm trying then, to understand then, what, what the point of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, then the other the it's the other way through. It's like, okay, situational awareness for the manned uh, operator. One of the discussions uh, in this uh, DAC tasking group is Oh my gosh! Now that we don't have networking, what are we going to do? Because the uh, UTM or uh, unmanned traffic management was based on a network system. So we're hashing through that. How do the FAA think any of this will fix issues? <laughs> ah, sorry, that are present present illegal pilots will still fly illegally. Yeah, illegal pilots are still going to do illegal right. things. Um, remote right. ID is not going to make any difference. Fair point, and yeah, there, there, um, there are no shortage of uh, counter UAS companies uh, in the United States um, mm -hmm. uh, selling their product to uh, federal officials at this point, and uh, I, had, I suspect that uh, we'll see uh, some of those uh, work their way into regulations. So good, good point. I absolutely agree. You know, what we're doing is you know trying. <clears throat> You know, this is 
you know, ostensibly for safety. We, we know that there's a, a security motivation and it's uh, for people who will be uh, adhering or obeying the laws. Yeah, I mean, until there's a system to, I mean, essentially detect a drone that's not flying with remote ID, which I'm sure somebody's already working on that, um, you know, there's not going to be a way to, you know, technically enforce it unless, you know, you're doing something you shouldn't. Law enforcement, Joe Bob comes up to you and says, hey, you know, you can't be flying here. Do you have, you know, your papers? Do you have your remote ID? Do you have all your, you know, ducks in a row? And if you don't, then... You're going to be, uh, <clears throat> you're going to run into some issues. So, you know, I mean, it's going to be a, uh, what happens when you get stopped kind of situation. To answer your questions, Zark. Have they talked about, I know this is kind of off topic, but have they talked about any kind of, um, like county or town level, uh, law enforcement training yet? Uh, not to my knowledge, Dave, you might have better input on that. However, um, they did talk about enforcement in the remote ID, uh, document. Um, but they basically just said it's going to, you know, it's going to be the way it has been and which is going to be basically, you know, essentially a law enforcement officer makes a stop. They refer it to the leap program, which is the law enforcement assistance program at the FAA. The FAA picks it up from there determines what happens at that point. I and thought I all think, the neighborhood um, watch people were going to report you with an app on their phone when they see illegal activity. And there's that. <laughs> we're, we're, so they, um, to answer uh, uh, Matt's question, the uh, FAA safety team, or F-A-A-S-T-A-E-A-M, is one of the avenues in the drone pros. So there, there are a number of uh, UAS uh, education uh, initiatives going out through this so that it's a it's an organization that exists for general aviation today and it is adding uh, a fair amount of uh, drone activity to their work and i suspect that that will be the the method and the, the vehicle that they'll use to roll out education on this maybe folks in some neighborhood <laughs> yep yep there will it'll be, be interesting to see how the faa actually does that with the number of individual law enforcement departments around the country, you know, different, different, uh, you know, you've got the city police, you've got state police, you've got highway patrol, you've got, I mean, all these different divisions, even within a city, you know, so it'll be interesting so we, to see how effective that is. Yeah, we kind of can't do that now. Um, like most people, I mean, there have been people that have been arrested and, forbidden from flying because of inability to understand the, the what was the current law at the time. So now I feel like that's going to be a, possibly a lot worse. And it can be, you know, I think, you know, as you know, that's not to say that law enforcement should know what the rules are because 100% absolutely they should. Um, however, I, I mean, personally, I don't know about you, Matt, or anybody else. I, I generally keep, you know, obviously, you know, a paper in my backpack with the safety guidelines for the FPBFC. I keep, uh, you know, what the current law is, you know, just even if it's just a breakdown um, and uh, all that stuff. So if somebody challenges me, I can say, here, here's the law. Here's what I'm doing. Here's my Lance application. I'm authorized to fly here. 
you know, here's, you know, my license and all the fun stuff. I mean, you know, it's the responsibility is also on the pilots to know what the laws are so that they know that they're in the right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, correct. Uh, just that, I mean, it wasn't like an anti-police thing. It was just kind of no, like, no, how yeah. is it? How is this going to be approached? Because, yeah, it, I mean, it is already a mess. Like, you, you can talk mm-hmm. to two different law enforcement officers. And like you said, they you agree. They should all know this stuff. Yeah, they should. But, and the problem is, is they don't, you know. Right. And, um, you know, some may have an inkling. Some might actually participate in the hobby. Some might not care, you know. But, you know, I, I have a feeling that the near future is going to see a lot of additional training for law enforcement in our country. I don't know you know, what form that's going to take. But at the same time, hopefully this is one of those things. And I mean, with, you know, 1.4 million recreational operators in the country, and that's going to be a pretty big deal, right? So. Yeah, and just, uh, I think the, uh, being a motorcyclist, you know, as a, you know, from from 14 years old on, uh, you know, when a, uh, when a police pulls you over on a motorcycle, you know, you know, all of the things that you're, you know, you've been taught. Uh, you know, you remove your helmet, you move slowly, you have on you your license, registration, insurance papers, everything's in order, it's easily accessible. And so I was able to sit in on the National Press Photographers Association meeting, and they were, uh, there was a presentation by a series of uh, the individuals who lead the drone fleets for the news organizations around the country. And every one of them has their their people who are these are professional pilots pilots you know UAS pilots they're doing this every day, and every one of them had a a kit it was a, you know part of the bag was a binder with safety guidelines license approvals waivers manuals for the uh, uh, for the equipment uh, and as well as the day's mission and you know part you know this is looking good and doing good and so they were. Doing good is that uh, they were adhering to uh, what what is required and more than what's required. And looking good is, you know, they come off as uh, you know prepared, professional, and uh, uh, organized. And to me, it's a good way to uh, uh, to keep things on the up and up. I just think I'm imagining some scenario how crazy this would be. You're you're out flying, and a, a police officer stops by and says, "Hey, could you land that? I need to weigh your drone for you." And they, 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 they go back in their car, hilarious. they pull out their, their little kitchen scale, you <laughs> land, hand it over. I'm sorry, that's 255 grams, so I'm going to have to take you in now. Like, Yeah, and, and then what's the what's it going to be? You're going to have like these, uh, what are they, the uh, free travelers or whatever? They're like, oh, I don't need a license to operate a vehicle. Oh, sovereign citizen, that's what I was sovereign thinking of. Citizen. Yeah, yeah, and it, now you're going to have people, okay, well, show me a warrant, or okay, um what is your um like what's your uh jesus i can't i i can think of sovereign citizen but i can't think of i can't spit out what i'm trying to say here either um you know like what uh what's your what's your reason for it now you're getting into yeah probably obvious, cause shit, or obvious stuff yeah yeah that's what i was thinking like what's your problem you know well like the faa would say well there's a drone flying in the sky and it doesn't have remote id that's probable cause but if there's a drone yeah. flying in the sky, like how can you tell from a distance that that's a 200 gram drone or a 400 gram drone? Like well, one, I, one I needs mean, remote ID and one doesn't. You know, it's funny because it's these are a lot of like 
you know, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, knocking on anybody. These seem like a lot of paranoid things. I imagine if you are doing something you shouldn't be, it's going to be land the drone. Let's talk about what you're doing. I doubt they're going to be pulling out scales or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, come on. But Damn. I mean, Damn honestly, the agitator here. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it, it all depends if somebody wants to get you in trouble or not. Then they'll just have more, more ways to do it. And I mean, I've worked with police, you know, for part of my career. And there are some, like TechJet says, you know, if they come out, they take you to jail. They take everybody to jail. That's how they operate, right. you know. But there are those who probably don't want to do the paperwork and they exist on a, you know, what are you doing? Probably shouldn't be doing that. You know, go have fun somewhere else, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, it really, it really does depend. So I would say, uh, you know, training for law enforcement, if they're going to truly be enforcing this, is going to be key. In the meantime, it's up to us to be the educators in those situations. So I definitely advocate that you, you know, are at least up on the laws, know where to pull them up, have the links on your phone. You know, I'm not saying you need to carry a binder like, you know, Dave was talking about, but have access to that information in a quickly, in a quick manner. Bring your own scale. Maybe <laughs> one that's tuned a little bit off. He's kidding. He's kidding. <laughs> but having, having FP, FPPFC safety guidelines on your phone on a PDF is not a bad idea. Yeah, I have yeah. them printed out in my video. backpack. If, if you're flying in uh, controlled airspace. It, all, all I can say is, I mean... I've had a friend of mine get inspected by a FAA inspector at the Philly. Uh, he he got a authorization to do a shoot at uh, the Philly Stadium, and he uh, he came out and he asked him all kinds of stuff. I had to send him some of my stuff because he didn't have all of it, like checklists of like what you what do you brief people? Because um, I brief, I have a whole binder, just like you guys were talking about, and I have even a briefing checklist, a debriefing checklist, things we should cover um and uh and they asked for like log books and maintenance records and uh because he's a pilot you know a part 91 pilot a part 61 pilot like me he, he asked him for his log book uh, for his general aviation log book you know um they he went into all kinds of detail um my yeah. logbook would be just filled with hit a tree branch, replace three props. Hit a tree branch, <laughs> replace four props. <laughs> oh, that's epic. Hit concrete. So, <laughs> Replaced <yeah>, everything. Right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah. Hey, everybody, I actually I gotta I gotta bounce out of here and say goodbye. I'll, hey, uh, thanks, I'll thanks for coming, man. So. Yeah, you yeah, too, bud. Here. Take care. Welcome anytime, bud. Sounds good. Have a good night, guys. All right. Bye. All right, so um, I we think have, uh, we have Vic Moss on the line. I yeah, I was actually about to uh, bring that up. So yeah. uh, I was going to bring up the DAC. So uh, the Drone Advisory Committee has selected their uh, new members, um, of which uh, we did lose uh, DJI, who was a big uh, um, advocate for recreational. We also lost uh, the AMA on the Drone Advisory Committee. Um, unfortunately, our own uh david messina was not selected however we do have vic moss um who was selected along with uh, kenji sugahara um and they are uh part of an organization that they just started um similar in 
vein to kind of what we're doing, but more for the independent operators. So, Vic, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Thanks for being. I'm just sitting here listening. You guys are great. Uh, <laughs> as I've said to some other people, I'm, a, I'm an FPV neophyte. Um, I'm sort of along the lines of let's let's fix props all the time. But um, Kenji and I started the SPA, oh gosh, a year ago at this point, maybe May. It was right after I left Drone U. He reached out to me and said, hey, want to do this? It's like, sure, why not? Um, and just thinking that we had both applied for the DAC and David had applied for the DAC. We've been talking to Dave before this even. So um, we figured worst case scenario, um, then, uh, you know, if we raised money to pay for expenses and stuff like that, one of us could go. So now all of a sudden we're both on the DAC. So it's like, oh dear, um, because we don't get paid obviously to be there. They don't know the government doesn't cover our expenses. Um, and everybody else on the DAC is, you know, you look at the list, they're all big businesses. So, you know, it's just me and Kenji um, and Dave will be in our corner, obviously, since he's on our board now. So thank you, Dave, for joining our board. Um, and uh, we're just going to try and represent, obviously, DSP is for drum service providers, but we're also hobbyists. Uh, Kenji's much more into FBB than I am. Um, I'm just now getting some big rigs in, or bigger rigs, I should say, uh, a squirt and a hydrophobe coming probably next week. Uh, still waiting for uh, Troy to finish them and waiting for the goggles. But um, it's uh, it, it's interesting. So um, I'm, I'm just soaking up as much information I can about FPV so I can be as clued in as I can when stuff comes up and I can work out and help the uh, help the industry. So could you so, explain a little more what your experience is with FPV or what uh, Kenji's sure. experience is? <laughs> Kenji is, uh, you know, neither one of us are, you know, we're not blazing. Like I, I'm in Denver. I'm not, you know, I'm not blazing the... Uh, blazing downtown like i think it's what is his name he does some incredible flying downtown um, yeah there's a few anyway. people in colorado that are really good. yeah that are just uh, phenomenal um, actually I, i'm a u.s colorado board member as well and we talked about one guy um in a meeting today so it's kind of interesting uh i have i started out with emacs um baby baby hawks a couple of those uh and they scared the hell out of me so i didn't fly them very much <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um, and i use um Oh, what the heck are they called? The uh, big big box goggles, basically, head plates. And mm -hmm. uh, then I switched up to, uh, or I didn't switch up, I switched down to the uh, the uh, Tiny Hawk. So I have, a, I have four Tiny Hawk 2s, a couple of 95X, and then a 65 uh, um, uh, Beta FPV. Uh, have naked sixes on the 95s. So I mean, I'm, I'm having fun, and I'm not putting anything I, I shoot right now on the... <laughs> on the uh, on the internet, except some of my fun stuff with the Tiny Hawks. Um, but I've been a you know I've been a drone pilot, a commercial drone pilot for seven years. So mm -hmm. there's that behind me. Illegal for the last well since 107 came out. I never did the 333 route. Um, I'm a, as I think I, I got the letter, and so I call myself an FAA certified non-compliant 333 operator uh, <laughs> until until the 107 came out. So. Um, so you briefly That's mentioned that Kenji was more into FPV. Do you know yes, more about he's, that? He has a lot of fun with it. Um, he's done a little bit of work with it. Uh, in, um, he has a lot of video and uh, movies, uh, music videos, that kind of thing, advertising. He's actually shooting a Jeep, Jeep commercial tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure I was supposed to say that. Anyway, don't, don't <laughs> repeat that. <laughs> um, so he does, he's more into it than I am. And it's actually his fault that I spent $3,000 with, uh, with Troy. <laughs> and um so he you know he's not he's not you know he's not surfing the buildings and that kind of thing sure but um he is he's uh he's he's pushed me into it along with troy 
Well, I know. Uh, I'll give Dave credit there too, though. <laughs> It, so I know, especially on some of the Facebook groups and things, people were complaining that, oh, you guys have no experience with FPV. How are you going to represent the hobby at all? And I'd say you guys are getting experience in FPV. And just the fact that you're here now shows that you're definitely willing to take advice and work with us. And Dave's on the board. Right. So definitely mm -hmm. willing yeah. to try to represent FPV to the DAC. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to satisfy everybody. I know that. That's cool. Well, uh, XJet and I have gotten into it already once. But um you know, it's, it's, I want to be able to do the best I can. And, you know, it's fun. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of fun flying these little guys around. I'm like, my well, cats and my dog think it's that funny, but I do. <laughs> in, in addition, the combination of the FBVFC and the, the DSP Alliance will be positive because the uh, yep. FBVFC is a 501c3. So a charity education and we're able to advocate the FAA and only a small percentage of our uh, any monies that we take in can be allocated to uh, to lobbying activities. The DSP Alliance is a 501c6, so right. that is explicitly can be a trade association or a lobbying organization. So uh, both Vic and Kenji have uh, significant experience working with uh, local, state, uh, county, uh, as well as federal, <laughs> yep, as well as federal organizations uh, uh, for uh, drone and other regulations. So, and uh, Vic is being uh, modest. He's uh, helped uh, commercial uh, UAS pilots across the country with his deep knowledge and uh, jumped in and helped uh, any number of um, uh, lawsuits where folks thought it's a good idea to uh, try to uh, make drones illegal in a municipality, and so. Uh, we appreciate the help, the background, and uh, we think the relationship will be powerful for uh, FPV pilots as well as commercial because we feel that uh, we're a benefit uh, to be able to feed uh, from younger people who are into STEM and into FPV into the commercial uh, industry. And you know, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of doing this for a living and uh, getting into uh, aviation, be it general aviation or UAS. Right. And I actually joined FPVSC last week, so there you go. Thank yes, he much. did. We appreciate it. <laughs> I got the email. I was like, oh, hey, it's Vic. Nice. <laughs> I think I'm so, put my one word. I even rejoined AMA. I just want you all to know that. <laughs> I've got words with Rich, but it's like, you know what? If I'm going to represent all my better, my money where my mouth is. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, you know, it's awesome. I mean, we've operated a long time, to be honest with everybody, without a specific source on the drone advisory committee. So, you know, we, we've, we've definitely made some allies throughout the years. Um, and, and those folks are awesome. And, uh, you know, Vic is probably going to be, uh, a, <clears throat> as much of a ally as any of those folks. And it's nice that he's a little more close knit in with, uh, the FPV family. So we welcome you and, and Kenji to help us with the drone advisory committee, um, and, uh, have fun with dealing with, all that fun bureaucracy, fun stuffs. <laughs> it'll be it'll be interesting to say the least. And it I'm will give, be some props here too, though, because I bet he is more active on the DAC than ninety percent of the DAC members. I would probably agree with you. Um, the man puts in a lot of work, and he's on every task group that he can get himself on. And we absolutely appreciate everything he's done. Um, and he's definitely pushing his influence from that from that uh, route through from the inside of the task group. So. Uh, we love having Dave. He's awesome. Yeah, sometimes I wonder what is the difference between an official DAC member and someone like Dave who's just volunteering to do a lot of work anyway. Right. 
there's not much. Well, there's, uh, <laughs> vote, members get voting. More. We're voting for uh, um, uh, recommendations to come on, uh, mm -hmm. considering uh, activities that will be taken up on the DAC in the future. Um, in addition, at a DAC meeting, if you're uh, only members may speak. And okay. so mm -hmm. if, I have, if I have an issue, uh, I have to just stay quiet. But the FAA can ignore you all equally, right? I guess yes. they can. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, Vic, thank you. Um, just a, a lot of thanks for what you've done over the years uh, coming from me. I followed you before you even knew who I was on Facebook and just, you know, read about all the work you've done with different uh, municipalities around the country. And uh, I'm sure everybody appreciates that work. So, Thank you. It's It's been interesting, to say the very least. Not where I thought I'd be five years ago. I just wanted to fly around and take pretty pictures. I know, right? <laughs> that's that's kind of what we all want to do. Um, <clears throat> all right, so I'm going to wrap. I'm, well, I'm not going to wrap up because we got like 20 minutes left, but I am going to introduce a couple articles. So obviously the big um, artic news articles of the week or last couple of weeks has been remote ID. Um, that is an ever-dominating subject right now um, as you uh, kind of go through the feeds. However, um, we did have Sony finally... Uh, unveiled their new AirPeak drone that I did want to kind of touch on. Um, so this thing looks ferocious. Have you looked at this at all, Vic? I have not. I've been a little busy the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm sure. So these guys are actually meant to carry a full-frame DSLR underneath the drone. So um, these were announced at CES. Um, and they didn't bring out a lot of details, but uh, you can see it on the image there. It's actually carrying a full frame uh, DSLR on there, a mirrorless one. Um, so they're pretty powerful little guys. Uh, it's got, uh, let's see. Da, da, da. The Intel drone is designed to Sony Alpha cameras where, as well, and it has a starting price at about $42,000. So, hey, there you go. If you're rich, get one of those. Text chat wants to know if it'll power loop. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure yeah. you could probably force it to. If you start high enough. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, this was also revealed at CES, and I thought this was a pretty cool little thing. And if somebody wants to try and figure this one out and let me know how it goes. So this is called a Knuckle 5. And it's meant to control your drone. And then the gentleman who developed it has developed it to play your video games one-handed, by the way. So if you click into the article, um, you can see that there's a gimbal on the front where your index finger is and a gimbal uh, where your thumb is. So your two axes, or axes, I guess, uh, to control your drone would be right there. And you can do it all with one hand. Um, so it's a pretty unique little thing, um, and I do have the actual website here too. Looks like it's designed for the right hand. So yeah, I wonder if they're going to do a right hand and left hand. I'm not sure. I, I love things like this because for people who are disabled, particularly vets, and you know, this is, yeah, this is a, a fantastic thing. There's a picture further down showing one for right and left hand. Yeah. There you go. Excellent. So, um, yeah, the, the gentleman actually designed this for drones and then um, he redeveloped parts of it to play video uh, so that disabled kids could play video games. So 
Um, pretty cool little device. It'd be interesting to see, uh, uh, to get used to controlling two axes with the same hand. That would be uh, definitely an interesting experience, I think. So, um, let's see. This was also pretty cool. This is uh, using kind of sense and avoid technology, but this is a swarm going through uh, a heavy forest. And the first part of the video is like a simulation about the first half of it and then they do a demonstration with uh what looks like a couple um small fpv style drones um where they're doing live mapping and communicating via network um to let them all know what they're mapping what they're seeing and how to move um so pretty cool little uh technology there uh to you know circumnavigate uh tight areas and whatnot um let's see it would be a short experience there you go all right uh you know cadillac uh have your own personal drone <laughs> apparently this also came out at ces um so uh it's a design for uh a personal one, I think it's a one person. It says it's uh, equipped with a 90 kilowatt hour electric motor that can whisk a passenger off a rooftop to their destination. Um, so no, no, uh, no cost. And obviously it's just a concept at this point. <laughs> yeah, it says right there in the thing, if it's ever built. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they've got uh, specs all written up for it. So, hey, there you go. General Motors research is very cool. I had the uh, the privilege of meeting some of the guys when I when I sold in the in Detroit. Just a, just very very cool. They're so into vehicles and they're so smart. So it's Let's great see. to see things like this. Absolutely, roof to ground in three seconds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, from Drone DJ. Uh, We've got uh, these new, so we talked a couple weeks ago, God, it feels like forever, probably about three months ago, about the Ring security cam uh, that I will probably never put in my house. But um, basically the Ring flies around your house and you can kind of give it a, a, a map of what to follow. Well, this is taking that to the next level. So um, this is out of Israel. The Israeli startup Indoor Robotics has designed a quadcopter drone it calls a Tando to keep eye on companies once the employees have gone. So basically operates with rooftop, like ceiling-mounted charging pads um, that the drone can attach to, recharge, drop down, and fly around the building. Um, so... Very cool. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty neat little, little thing. Some of the best software developers in the world are in Israel. And yes, they are. Facial recognition company called Nice N I C E is an Israeli company. Very good, very good products. Let's see, what else do I have? Um, so we also this was one of the other major articles that popped up. Uh, this uh, company in C two, uh, owned by it's a Boeing owned company. Uh, is going to be paying $25 million uh, back to the government for charging prices for new parts for their drones, charging charging for parts on their drones that were like they were charging for new parts when they were using used parts. 
or uh, uh, what do you call it? Refurbished parts. Um, so they're basically, yeah, it's a problem. And uh, so that's uh, coming out of uh, Portland and the company is called in situ. Dave, uh, I'm going to pop this up. I haven't had a chance or Dan or somebody who knows a little bit more about this. I haven't had a chance to watch the video, but Red Cat and Supersonic, they did a long, uh, long distance flight. I did watch the Rotor Riot episode about that. Okay. So this says that uh, um, a pilot located in Florida uh, was controlling a drone flying in Detroit, Michigan, um, and it integrated Fat Shark's shark bite uh, system. Um, and the pilot's flight instructions of the drone were transmitted through Cyper, uh, Skypersonic servers located in Italy. So the controls, uh, uh, basically the... The inputs were transmitted from Florida to Italy back to Detroit. Yeah, so basically, uh, think, take your radio, plug it into your laptop, have it send your radio's you know, signals like you would for a video game Yeah, yeah. to a server in Italy. That server in Italy sent that control to a computer in Detroit. That computer in Detroit connected it to a local radio and let you fly a drone in their warehouse. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. it did have some latency. Uh, Drew could not fly FPV from florida he could fly the stabilized mode pretty well but not fpv or not no, not and, acro uh, mode yeah I, yeah I've, seen, I've not seen the uh, the video or read anything about this was it was it highly autonomous dan did, did no. you mention that no it was huh. i mean basically if you took a dji it was in like a cage so that if it bumped into anything it was safe um, uh-huh. but if you took any stabilized drone and just flew it around inside of a warehouse sort of and he, he was cruising it around pretty well but there was what, decent latency. Did, did it stay inside? It was just flown from a remote location? Or did it fly some long, crazy distance? No, no. They were all flying within a warehouse indoors. So they uh, would have a local radio, I and they'd be flying it, and then they would flip a switch and hand over control to Drew in Florida. I see. Okay. Hence it looked like the whole drone was in like a, a like a Dyson sphere kind yeah, of thing. In a ball. But because it was, but because it was indoors, no need for Correct. any waivers. This was right, right. inside. Okay. Yep. All right. So, uh, and then uh, they go on to talk about, uh, let's see. So, like, I could ex- imagine, like, their one of their use cases is, like, right now people couldn't travel very well. So, let's say some warehouse has a drone somewhere, and they have their pilots across the country, and they need to go inspect something. They'll, you know, be able to fly it from wherever the pilots are and fly around there their warehouses, their yards, their factories or something and check on things remotely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, SkyPersonic said that they're up, they're upgrading their entire fleet to the new SharkBite system. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, also, if you are in, just to keep people aware, um, FAA has issued drone restrictions over two more DOD facilities uh, one of them is in Rock Island Arsenal. It, it's between uh, Davenport, Iowa, and Rocks Island, Illinois. And the second is the Biometric Technology Center in Clarkburgs, West Virginia. If you plan on flying around those DOD locations, please don't. That'd be a bad idea. I think uh, staying, staying away from our nation's capital might be a, a good idea over the next couple of weeks from a, a yeah, a, probably a drone, a drone flying 
Not that you're allowed um, to fly there anyway. Yes. <laughs> so th- I think that's about all I have. Um, some interesting stuff. Uh, let's see. Dan, you do have a meeting scheduled, what, seven, eight days? With uh, the FAA, yeah? But Dave. Dave does, hopefully. Maybe. Did I say Dan? I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I'll uh, I'll say more about it after the fact. We'll, uh, Don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, yeah for sure. And um, beyond that, the uh, remote ID has been posted on the register. It looks like um, what was the date in there? September fifteenth. Fifteen. No, not September, but January. Oh, which it was published January fifth. Will will be published January fifteenth. <laughs> Which Correct. puts those dates of compliance into like September 2022, September 15th, 2022, 2022, and, and September 2023, 15th, right? 2023. Yes. Yeah. So the 2022 would be for the manufacturers, and the 2023, September uh, 2023, would be for everybody to be I gave it a quick glance, but I didn't see anything uh, right off the bat. I'm going to dig into it a little deeper. I did look at the bottom, like the bottom of the document where they actually have the the verbatim law or verbatim regulation or whatever. None of that looked like it was different. So my guess is that they took out maybe part of the executive summary or part of the comments or something like that somewhere, you know, in the first 400 or so sure. pages. But they did remove like 50 pages total or something, according to the. Post yeah, I mean, it, and it may just be that they shrunk the font, yeah, you know, so be. I mean, re- realistically, so I will give it a, a deeper look uh, probably this evening and see if I can find anything that's missing. But so far, uh, looking at the actual letter of the regulation down at the bottom, it doesn't look like anything's changed. So there's that. Any other questions, comments? No? You mean they don't treat that as a controlled document, so they have to you know, specify what the changes are and the date and sign off on it? Well, generally when they do post it, uh, they do cite the, the, um, like the precursor, like the rough drafts, and then they put the final versions on there so yeah, and, the, and the pdf we got on 1228 was a draft and so the uh, document control starts on the federal register version yeah so it's a good question it is so if you look well, at like the technically FAA, it does the, start with a draft but i mean that's not public so the correct. previous iterations aren't public yeah yep it's just that would be handy if if we had that yeah so <laughs> yes <laughs> it definitely would be. So if you look at like the FAA reauthorization, there's a couple of things that changed from point A to point B and they have the, you know, I think there's like five different drafts on there. Um, so, you know, they do track that kind of stuff. I don't know from what we got versus what they posted, if there's going to be any changes listed in there, but I will give it a more thorough read. It's just 400 pages is a lot to go through. So I looked at the important stuff first. All right. Uh, any other questions or comments? Any additional info on like CBOs? Who's going to be one? Like no, that? not yeah. yet. We do that... expect the circular to come on that, uh, come out on that shortly. 
no, so nothing, nothing new. Uh, and uh, we have a hunch that uh, the way that's going to work uh, is uh, there'll be we'll see the criteria, and then there'll probably be an application, and then we'll apply for that, and then we'll hear if we're accepted as a CBO. But that's mostly speculation on uh, on my part. Yeah. So we're already satisfying uh, the uh, requirements in the FAA reauthorization. So depending on, you know, yeah, we're hoping extra that comes out. That it doesn't deviate much from that. Exactly. Yeah. So. All right. Well, yeah, go ahead. This is Vic. Sorry. Um, I'm going to actually, I was going to, one of the things I really liked about being on the deck was I get to work with Wade Troxell here in Colorado, uh, mayor of Fort Collins, but he's no longer on the deck. But I do know him because I work with him on his airport board, um, or have worked with him, I should say. And I'm really going to push hard for him to uh, have the NLC put together their own CBO. National um, League of Cities. National League of Cities, sorry. Um, right. And uh, because if they could put together their own CBO, then, sit, then cities that have already have like drone parks or drone areas to fly, keep mm -hmm. those open. Yeah, they could mark those as free allocations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what I would like them to try and do. And plus, it'll kind of t turn the turn the maybe turn their. Uh, they're not real thrilled about drones, obviously. Um, if you all you do is look at a lot of the California legislation, a lot of the cities who took their uh, verbiage verbatim. Um, so working with them on getting a CBO through the NLC, I think, would be a huge step in the not only the regular, but the FPV. Uh, mm -hmm. so, Absolutely. We'll okay. see. I don't know. Hey, that's a great idea. I mean, that's that's really awesome. I know here in in Arizona, every city is required to designate at least one park where model aircraft and and drones can fly. So, you know, that's that's been a big help for the the community here. Um, and uh, I know there's a lot of flyers here in in the Phoenix area that take advantage of those parks. So. Being able to maintain those and just get them, you know, classified as free is going forward would be awesome as well. That'd be, that'd be helpful. Absolutely, great idea. Thank you, Vic. Um, all right. Well, with that, I will. I thank you all for joining. Um, I, I do have one other quick question. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so, are they doing away with Lance then? No, Good. no, no, no. So nope. you will still need to use Lance if you are going to fly in controlled airspace. And a good way to think about the okay. remote ID in general is that the uh, Part 107 and Recreational 88409 are still in place. So this just adds uh, regulations to those existing certifications to fly. Mm -hmm. Just what we want okay. is more rules to worry about every time we fly. Right. <laughs> well, that's what I kind of thought, but I wasn't. I wasn't 100 percent positive. Yeah. yeah so if you're still flying in locate, if you're flying right now in locations that require lands, you will still need to file those lands requests uh, going forward. That's not going away. Uh, again, it's remote ID is uh, anywhere you're flying outside of a Freya, uh, you'll need to have some form of remote ID, whether that's a, a drone with it built in, which would be a standard remote ID, or a drone with a broadcast module um so yeah yeah i talked okay. to cool. i talked to alex a little bit about the range requirements uh, a few days ago but any updates on what you know wi-fi wi and bluetooth and all that you know like is it just you know whatever range you can get from that and then whoever is just within that area right will get it 
Right. So we we think this is a great question because, uh, as you've heard, uh, Elias, the uh, DJI has cited the uh, Zenith uh, project uh, back in, in the UK a couple of years ago with a twenty mile range, and we think that's uh, yeah everything must have been optimized. You know, the location, the equipment, everything. Yeah. Perfect so, conditions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect conditions. Car so, battery to, yeah. to power it. Oh, right, yeah. right. And right. here's the thing. I mean, right. in order to keep it in you know, keep it affordable in the in the price range that the FAA has cited, which would be between twenty and fifty dollars, it's not gonna be anything near like that. You know, you basically in the in the des, bleh, in the design and production requirements, it's stated that, you know, you must do whatever you can to increase the range or to, to maximize, maximize the range of the broadcast. Yeah. And um, they never put a number, they never no, put a number to no. it. No, absolutely not. But what they can do is say that's not far enough and decline your design of your yeah. basically your means of compliance. I'll be really curious to see what the first couple modules are that get uh, FCC or FAA authorization because yeah. you're like, are they going to be with tiny antennas and low power? Or are they going to say, Oh yeah. no, that's not good enough. It has to be like one watt and it has to have a full size antenna hanging off of it. At which point it'll I think- still get buried in carbon fiber though. I, I, <laughs> <in my> builds, anyway. <laughs> I still think, I mean, when you start approaching those increased uh, wattages and, and whatnot, I think the FCC is going to start having issues with it. So It'll be interesting to see where the balance is going to be. Um, I would imagine, you know, maybe somewhere in the one to maybe one to maybe half mile to maybe three mile range would be what they'd be looking for. But I have no no backup for that statement. So do don't come out with. Do you think they're going to come out with an update uh, defining that? Because it's just, it's just a, it's such a gray area right now. I, don't I think, think so. we start. Where- one of the things we're doing on this DAC work is we're trying, we're looking around for any uh, academic or government uh, documentation of testing that says this is what we found for aircraft for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, so we can try. And I know as soon as we come up with a document, someone's going to say, "Oh, but you didn't consider Bluetooth five. And so, but what we're still, I think it's good to try to establish a baseline so that we can have a better uh, understanding. Plus, um, have you? I need to track down the uh, ASTM uh, F-38 spec on the uh, remote module. I'm not sure if you have a copy of that, Alliance. Uh, I don't. Not, not okay. readily available. No. Okay. I, I should. I've joined the uh, the committee. And so uh, <laughs> if I find anything that looks like uh, uh, a real spec in that uh, and not uh, you know, a, a, you know, a well-written requirement, you know, I'll share it regardless once I okay. track Thanks it down. So. Yeah, I wonder... Uh get approved are they going to be they're going to have to go through some kind of fa certain that means everyone is only going to have to be able to use those or can people make their own or anybody who wants to make one can submit a means of compliance and um uh and go through the process uh now the the problem you run into is you know patents and stuff like that and possible licensing fees for for technology but I don't think that stops anybody from creating their own, but in order for it to be, um, you know, basically legal, it has to go through the FAA process and be listed on the federal register as, you know, that particular design, that particular company, so on and so forth. I mean, is that going to more or less rule out open source? 
I don't think well, so. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Open source is used by uh, you know lots of enterprise companies for all sorts of proprietary code. But it yeah. would be very so, difficult to make it tamper resistant and open source at the same time. Right. Well. Yes. I mean, you could you could essentially you know if you're if you're doing firmware, you could design the the, the initial firmware in an open source environment where people can contribute. But once it goes on to, let's say, a broadcast module, it would need to be locked down. Um, so and, yeah, it wouldn't be yeah. something you would plug into your computer and be able to edit the source code. You may be able to update it. Obviously, that would be a good thing. But you wouldn't be able to actually go in and mess around with the, the actual source code once it's on the module. There are also right. all, all kinds of other hurdles you have to jump through. Like you have to buy the ASTM standard for your serial numbering. And you have to submit to the FAA, and all that stuff's going to take a lot of time and money that very few people would ever be able to do. Yeah. Right, and yeah, and it, it's the right. production, um, to the declaration of declaration of compliance and means compliance. of compliance. Thank you very much. Those yeah. two, those two are going, to, and so that's going to require prototyping, testing, submission to the FAA, audits. Uh, so time and money in significant amount of time. So uh, I'm. There is a push uh, in the uh, final rule for consensus standards, and I'm pretty sure that what they're encouraging is that if we were to create a spec that said this is, you know, if you build to this recipe, uh, it might be uh, acceptable. And it's not clear to me that we, you know, it, you know, how then do we get uh, you know production rights to do this? And so this is done in the. Um, in the gun industry in the United States. So we'll, that's an area that I want to investigate in terms of, okay, we get this spec approved. You know, can we you know, DIY, you know, if it's, uh, if it's meets this spec and has these components, but it's that. Yeah, it's that's what I was kind of getting at. But yeah. yeah, it's the means compliance that really makes me nervous that that's not going to be viable. Yeah. So, I mean... Steve, I don't know if you've had a chance to read our breakdown yet of the remote ID. Um, it is up on our website, but literally the last half of the document, if not the last five pages of an eight-page document, all deals with the design and production requirements and the means of compliance and declaration of compliance. It's yeah, That's the hefty of, part of the whole thing. I, yeah, mm -hmm. and that's the part I didn't really get yeah. to dig into yet. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really kind of easy. eyes glaze over part, but... <laughs> This worries me about some of the gotchas. One of the other gotchas uh, was pointed out the other day was the um, altitude requirements on the the accuracy requirement. Uh, the current thinking is that will probably require an additional um, uh, barometer on the uh, on the aircraft. And so if you if you add a barometer, forget the weight, the cost uh, to cost to customer is um, twenty dollar twenty. Hey Dave. Yeah. In the document, they actually suggest uh, uh, fervently to not use a barometer, to use GPS altitude calculations. Understood. So, um, and, and Alex is, Alex is <laughs> saying exactly the right thing. I know. I know. <laughs> they want, yeah, they want, they want geospatial uh, altitude. Not, yeah. Yeah. But the accuracy is a little too difficult to. to, to oh, is that what it comes down to? Uh huh. Oh, so, I get what you're saying. A, so there's a gotcha there. Interesting. So, yeah. so yeah, how would you know what your altitude above the ground is from GPS exactly? Uh, time, time for signal. Well, you know your distance from a satellite, but 
if you're in the yeah. bottom of a valley or the top of a mountain, um, you know, your, your total altitude, but not a, not a AGL. So I believe it's, I don't think they specify AGL. I think they specify just geospatial yeah, altitude. And, and you could you could zero yourself out when you take off and know how high you've gone up, I suppose. Right. Yes. Yeah, this is an area I don't know, and I, I have a hunch where we will probably become expert in this area. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, why I'm very curious to see what those first modules are that get uh, approval. Approved, absolutely. We'll be a we little could... self-serving and drop that in there. <laughs> we could certainly meet the intent of the regulations with some open source software. You, you stick a GPS on your drone and you have a Bluetooth module built into your flight controller and Betaflight knows how to send out the GPS information. But that would never yeah, pass and, the FCC's rules. And, and Kenji was talking about this opendrone.org. So yeah, he posted it on the Facebook. Yeah, there is an organization who's creating open source to do this, but it's exactly along the lines that you mentioned, Josh. You know, we can we could definitely see this being developed, but then once it goes into production, it's got to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, if it's if it's in the kernel, it'll have to be ported and rewritten, and then uh, so that it's it doesn't have to be turned over to the open source committee, and then it'll have to be uh, uh, made proprietary, closed source. It's a, uh, a a step that I'm very familiar with uh, when acquiring companies uh, who are using open source. So it it's it does speed things along, but it can create a another step that could create that could add months to the schedule to the development schedule. But more detail. To, yeah, I'm in the weeds. My. <laughs> It's easy One for us to get in the weeds on this stuff. I mean, obviously, it's it's stuff that we're passionate about. So, One more quick thing, um, just real quick. I know we're getting ready to wrap up. One of the things I think where FPV and, uh, and um, radius of the signal, whatever you want to call that, the range, um, where FPV actually probably wins out a little bit, it's all line of sight. So if I'm 400 feet in the air shooting at a construction site, my, my radius is going to be a whole lot longer than one of y'all flying around through the trees. Mm-hmm. But your line of sight needs to be from uh, on the ground, from your from your visual hmm. observer. Right. No, I'm at I'm at radius of the signal. Yeah, Vic is oh, talking oh, about oh, the broadcast oh, oh, remote from a drone, ID. Yeah. How far remote oh. ID will go? I, right. right. Sorry, I was I'm holding onto that. I forgot we changed subjects. But <laughs> yeah, if I'm yeah, zipping you know, along six inches off the ground, my remote ID signal is not going to travel very far versus a, a drone three hundred feet right. in the air. Yeah, this is exactly, yeah, signal strength. Uh, yeah, what's the RSSI? And um, this is exactly what I'm uh, researching. You know, uh, I'm looking for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth effective range from aircraft. So I'm with, I'm with you completely, Vic, and it makes a ton of difference. And now if there's, a, there's also a difference if you're doing like a two-way communication versus just a broadcast. And since this is just sending out a beacon, you don't have to have two-way communication. So the, what m- most people think of as like, oh, my cell phone can only go so far from a Bluetooth device is not quite the same thing. Exactly. And it, it's going to repeat on a, a one hertz uh, basis. I'm with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, I'm going to let you all go. We're 10 minutes over. Uh, you know, I don't want to take up the rest of your night. I know a lot of you are, are it's, you know, probably pretty late, 8, 9, 10 o'clock. Um, okay. So. Zarg, Zarg has the record, though. 
Come, yes, he sure does. From, coming in from the UK. He's the man. So, um, thinking that part 15 compliant devices won't be able to have much broadcast range. No, that's I, not true. No. Uh, your no. Wi Fi devices good, can have pretty good range. And a good example of a part 15 device that has good range is Crossfire. I don't think he is on the chat so or in the in the voice. Oh, so. oh yeah, we're talking to nobody. <laughs> okay. Then I'll quick type I'll quick respond by it. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us this evening. Uh, I do appreciate it. Thank you, Vic, for for joining yeah. in. And uh what's that? Hopefully I can make this fairly regular. Hey, we'd appreciate great. it. We'd love to Very have welcome. you. All right. And uh, on that note, have a great night, everybody, and we'll see you in two weeks, all right? Yep, see you guys. Sounds good. Very good. Take care.